From hook and bullet to policy and science, we're here to discuss and dissect all matters of importance to Montana's rugged landscape and the people and wildlife that call it home. This is Montana Untamed. According to Dr. Matt Ranella, the grassroots traditions that have defined hunting in America are being displaced by a hyper-commercialized pay-to-play model. In response, he's created an organization called Hunt Quietly and what he calls a movement to combat, combat this tainting of the principles of hunting. Through his writing and podcast, he has stirred controversy and prompted plenty of debate in the hunting community. Ranella a research ecologist by day and lifelong hunter, is here with me today to explain his stance. Uh, So to start, Matt, welcome. Uh, Thanks for coming on. Do you mind introducing yourself a little bit? Um, You call Eastern Montana home, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm from Michigan originally, and I moved to Montana in 1997 and got my Ph.D. at Montana State. I graduated there in 2003 and have been, it took shortly thereafter, took this job in Miles City and I've been here ever since. Cool, cool. So what, uh, what do you do? I mentioned research ecologist, that's what's uh, on the website. Um, what does that, what does that look like? What do you, what do you study? I study a range of topics. A lot of what I do is focused on trying to put screwed up grasslands back together, lands that are impacted by coal mining or uh, overgrazing or weed invasions. I have a project right now that's focused on trying to get pollinator plants to grow on farmland that's entering the CRP program, hmm. the, the Conservation Reserve Program. Right. Are familiar with that program? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for the listeners, it's a, it's a program that compensates farmers for taking highly erodible land out of production and putting it into perennial plants to hold the soil in case those lands are ever needed in the future for agriculture. And there's always been a push to get extra societal values out of those lands. So I think uh, wildlife habitat has always been an emphasis in addition to holding the soil, you know, and uh, carbon sequestration, which is not something I really believe is happening on those lands. And we don't need to get into that. (laughs) But it's being for, it's being put out as a, as a, justification for the crp these days for crp these days but if you do the math on it it's it's like a tribute trivial but another value added thing that the federal government is trying to institute is uh, flowering plants to support threatened and endangered Mm. pollinator insects okay so and then I, i i do a lot of computationally intensive statistically intensive work right now i'm uh just finishing up a study that is estimating what 
climate change will do to equilibrium abundances of invasive annual bromes, cheatgrass and Japanese brome, across the western United States. So it, some of the, like I say, some of the work is is pretty technical. Right, right. Well, um, boy, that sounds like a whole other uh, episode in and of itself. Um, and um, for you listeners, um, pollinators on CRP are is not what we're here to talk about, although that sounds very interesting. Um, Matt, let's get to um, Hunt Quietly. Um, later on in the episode and throughout the episode, I want to drill down on the specifics um, so if you can, if you can hesitate from getting into the details, um, and can you just give listeners the 30,000 foot view, um, of what Hunt Quietly is and what spurred, uh, its creation? I believe that, well, first of all, I have to say this hunting is something I'm very passionate about. It's been, been very, very good to me. It's mm-hmm. preoccupied my attention since I was a little kid and I've never I've never experienced a period in my life where it's gotten better I've only seen it get worse Hmm. in terms of fewer and fewer places to go lots and lots of places I used to be able to go that I can't anymore either because they become developed or because they become leased or they've been turned into exclusive hunting properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and about six or seven years ago, I, 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 I took a position on the board of Montana backcountry hunters and anglers and quickly started that, – that, that forced me to think about what the threats to the future of hunting, and, it, and I quickly started to believe that that organization and all the other nonprofits aren't focused on the real problems to a large extent. Mm-hmm. Um, they, in my mind, they, 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 they contribute mightily to some of the problems. So my thinking was, well, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to give back to this thing that's been good to me, I need to do it in my, in my own way, in a way that makes sense to me and, in, in, in a way that's focused on what I take to be the blatantly obvious problems facing the future of hunting in, in, in America, that the nonprofits are not in a position to focus on, the hunting celebrities are not in a position to focus on, the hunting industry is not in a position to focus on because they by and large cause and benefit from the problems. Mm, right. So if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like um – handful of years ago you 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 know to 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 participate in you know the perpetuation of hunting and um the advancement and the the uh increase in the wonders of hunting you joined a board of a conservation nonprofit. um like i I think probably a lot of people think is the way to make those changes and and give back to hunting and conservation um but it kind of turned you it, it kind of gave you an alternate perspective having that having that mm-hmm. position. Is that right? Yeah, and not because of any like secret deliberations that go on oh, behind right. the scenes. Right. Although there was a little bit of that, but right. uh, it, it, it it's more that there's stated positions and and like act 
activities that they're blatantly and obviously involved in, I I think are are, are counterproductive. Okay. Um, you know, and, and I think, uh, one of those, um, that you would probably mention, and, and it's, it's the argument you made that, that, um, popped you onto my radar, um, is you've, you've made a case against R3 and for Mm -hmm. listeners, R3 is this, um, slogan that's used, um, in, you know, conservation organizations and, and whatnot, uh, recruitment, retention, and reactivation of hunters, um, it's kind of this idea, uh, that if, if there are less hunters, um, these are what we, the, the, this is the steps to get more hunters, uh, if you will. Um, and it's a pretty widely accepted approach. I think, um, when you look at hunting organizations and conservation organizations that perceive that less hunters is bad for hunting. And now you've made a case against this R3. Um, can you flesh that out for us? Yeah. So I'm R1, not R3. I'm, I'm, I'm pro retention. Okay. And, and I, I, I don't, I think that the, the, that being pro retention, it, it's internally inconsistent with being pro reactivation and pro recruitment because mm-hmm. the biggest deterrence to maintaining or retaining hunters are crowding and lack of access. Mm-hmm. And I, so I, I, somebody needs to look out for the existing hunting community, and whether that we're talking about members of the existing community that have been at it for two months or 20 years. I've just taken it on myself to, to, take a stand for those people i think that r3 is it's it's just a money grab it's a we bring more people into hunting so we can sell them products right is how how i take i i I, the the main arguments the justifications for it i think are very very weak you'll hear things like we need it to fund wildlife conservation well yeah that was in the people Go ahead. And the and the people that say that are completely they either completely ignore or are completely unaware with of all the peer reviewed studies that show negative effects of intense hunting pressure on wildlife. Mm-hmm. Uh, reproduction reproductive rates, uh, body condition scores. But now what about the behavioral issues? like infanticide in brown bear, right. uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like, how come that's never brought up? Is it, I mean, this isn't my job. Mm-hmm. You know, as somebody that's like a R3 practitioner, shouldn't you be aware of all the things that, all the consequences of doing R3? Right. So if I, if I hear you correctly, what you're saying is the argument they're making is that more hunters uh, equals more conservation dollars through the mechanisms we have in place, the Pittman Robert, all this funding mechanisms through purchasing hunting and shooting equipment goes back towards the conservation of these animals. And what you're saying is uh, there's a bigger picture here that increasing hunters does also have a detriment to these wildlife populations. Um, but there's another argument, I think, that promoters of R3 make, and it's kind of this political argument that, uh, as we've seen states uh, 
Um, some states decrease um, seasons and and the ability for hunters to, um, you know, take advantage of the wildlife in their state. There's this argument that, you know, if we have more hunters, we have more of like a political base when it comes to making these decisions. Um, how does that equate? How, how do you, how does that argument in favor of R3 fit into your R1 philosophy? Yeah, and that's another, it's another argument that I, I find that argument to be disingenuous. Again, it's an argument that's made by people that make money off hunting. And it, it, to me, it's, I don't see how anybody can think about it for 30 seconds and not be concerned that, with the, the alternative consequences of potentially of growing the hunting community. I mean, mm -hmm. there was like when, when skateboarding was a niche activity that very, very few people engaged in, mm -hmm. young people. There were no regulations. Mm -hmm. Now it's banned in a lot of places. And right now, you know, four or 5% of Americans hunt. I don't see how you're going to win at the ballot box with that. And I think if you boost it up to, to 15% or something like that, that's going to be three times more controversial shit being put on social media, uh, which has demonstrably led to hunting bans. Mm -hmm. So, I, I, I mean, what's telling to me is that the same people that argue we need more hunters to protect our right to hunt are people that put dead and dying wildlife on social media, mm -hmm. which has caused hunting bans. Right. So you, you can't, it doesn't strike me that people that are concerned about growing the hunting community to protect our rights, if they're doing the very thing that has caused hunting bands mm -hmm. it just strikes me as completely like just like a made-up argument okay and i mean i think that's a great segue into you know my next question um which before i get into this question my next two questions i, I think that uh, judging by my listening to your arguments through your podcast and your writing and your website you have there's a nuance between these two things um, that to a lot of people I think may sound familiar, but y you have a nuanced argument between the two. And I'd like to talk about hunting entertainment, television, YouTube, um, you know, the hunting show. But then I also want to talk about the social media, like the hunting influencer. So let's start with like the social media. Um, you talk about the issues with hunting on social media and influencers in the hunting world on social media. Can you hash that argument out for me? Uh, I think that media is terrible for access. Hmm. Uh, I, How I so? Think that, I think that hunting media and hunting celebrities and in large – in, in, in a lot of circumstances, the hunting industry are they're just terrible for for access with 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 hunting social media. So you're saying you, access this access in particular. Mm -hmm, how's yeah. how? 
I guess, yeah, explain explain that for me, like from the access. Well, okay, let's let's. I guess we'll start. We could start out with what should be non uncontroversial. Okay. When I talk about access, I'm talking about I'm talking about free access. Okay, right. Not or or, or like maybe your some of your license fees go towards a state program that allows access for everybody. Right. I don't I don't consider when when somebody gains uh, uh, access to a, a hunting location by paying an outfitter or like paying a landowner directly. I don't I don't consider that hunting. It just goes against the whole point of me. To me it's like about getting something with your wits that you can eat. It's mm-hmm. not about using your wallet at at that point you just go buy beef in my in my view so when i talk about access i'm talking about free access right right and well so so here's i mean one thing that's like clearly the case is that the hunting industry is terrible for access or companies like real tree and mossy oak uh, they take the money that we give them for clothing buy land subdivide it and sell it these are working lands that you used to be able to bang on the door and sell it those lands as exclusive hunting properties okay or or uh sika gear who's teamed up with whitetail properties mm. uh, it, it, so uh, you what you're saying is, you i guess I'm, the argument you're saying with regards to hunting media and social media's well, effect on yeah, access. and I kind of got off track there because it was I was tr- supposed to be giving you an example that pertained to media, and I'll do that next. But but the, so but the argument what you're saying is is these companies are driving are promoting hunting, and in turn promoting like incentivizing people to lease private to shoot big bucks? Well, Realtree and Mossy Oak are not only clothing companies. They're real estate companies. Oh, okay, okay, I see, I see. They take the money we give them for clothes and invest, and they've been, over time, invested that into their real estate company. Right. Which buys, were in that, they buy working lands, farms and ranches, subdivide them and sell them as, as hunting properties. But, but that, that's an example of the hunting industry being terrible for access. In terms of hunting media, there are two shows. So in addition to being a real estate company, Whitetail Properties is a hunting show. And the Hunting Land Man is another hunting show. These shows show attractive hunting content and then try to get you to to buy the property where they film the show. So I mean, it just doesn't get more clear than that. Mm-hmm. That that is yeah, that is not that is not good for <laughs> for access. And then what you have with hunting social media is well, uh look at what top influencers what they're modeling to society mm-hmm. they they hunt uh like a josh bomar or uh an aaron snyder or 
or a, or a Cam Haynes or a Joe Rogan, et cetera, et cetera. They hunt private land and they pay big, big dollars for the tags. And that's what they model to people. And I think that, so that's, that's what then people of means do is they gobble up the access for themselves. And mm-hmm. it turns hunting into a popularity contest where if you're a doctor or a dentist or what have you, and you have money to burn, you're like, oh, John got a bigger buck than me. I better get a bigger lease this year so that I can beat, beat him and I can have the big buck. Right. I mean, it, it, it's so like, like it's just you can't argue that that's not happening. It, it, it's happening everywhere, and, and and it's only getting worse and worse and worse, and it's getting worse at a rapider pace. So the idea is that people who you know have admiration for you know these big whitetails or whatever that people are shooting on this leased property um they're going out because they think that that's like the only way to you know shoot these deer or whatever is that like it's basically what you're saying is that some of these shows and these organizations are putting leased private land not open to the public hunting on a pedestal well a lot of times they give you an obscure in a lot of cases, it's obscured that they're even hunting private. Right. But in a lot of cases, it's not. Okay. You know, it doesn't take much. You don't have to listen to Joe Rogan for too long before you realize he's paying, with a little bit of digging and inference, fifty to $60,000 to harvest an elk right. and talking about how he's got a purple belt in hunting. But how does that, I guess, <laughs> I, 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 I get the, the argument you're making as far as, you know, folks with means or people, you know, that have a lot more zeros in their bank account than me, um, they have that as an option. But how does that hunting celebrityism promotion entertainment machine make access for like the common Joe less? Uh, because it, it creates a, a market for access. It's free advertising. Well, like I say, if, if with, there's two pro, I mean, the hunting industry sees it that way. Mm-hmm. The hunting industry through these, through these two hunting shows demonstrates that they see media as a privatization mechanism. Right. There's also like many, many TV programs where it's the, the hunting is taking place on a leased farmer ranch, and then they try to sell you a hunt on the ranch. Mm-hmm. So it's like, like not just that I see it that way. The hunting industry sees it that way, right? And and then the, 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 there's other ways to take a little bit of inference, like this the, the, I, this ability to show piles of strangers what you killed. See, was, that was turns. Gonna... Go ahead. Turns hunting into a popularity contest. Yeah, can you flesh and, and, flesh out that argument? You 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 have an opposition against the grip and grins online that we see every fall. Um, I grip and grin. Um, what is your case against the you know the the dead animal pictures? It turns hunting into a popularity contest. It's like. Um, I, oh, Joe got a bigger one than me. I better lease the farm next door. So I have a buffer zone so the bucks can get bigger and then I can have the big one. 
and then the more big ones I get, then the, the more sponsors I can get, and mm -hmm. the more sponsors I can get, the more money I'll have to increase my lease, and it it just turns it into a greedy hunting into a greedy gluttonous trophy centered mm -hmm. pissing match. Okay, uh, I, I don't. I just don't. I don't think that can be denied. And then there, I also have aesthetic issues with it too. I think it's extremely tacky to use dead wildlife to draw attention to yourself. I think it's extremely tacky to use the death of an animal as a source of entertainment for other people. Hmm. Hmm. And do you have any, do you, you know, talking to game wardens, um, there's kind of this idea that this, this chasing admiration, this popularity contest that you talk about, um, maybe causes some hunters to bend ethics a little bit in the pursuit of having that, you know, 30 inch mule deer on Instagram. Do you have any thoughts on maybe how social media is affecting, you know, ethics out in the field? Uh, I've had, uh, the region seven head game, Montana region seven game, head game warden on Todd Anderson a couple times and he is absolutely convinced that's that's a deal that people st stretch uh the law break the law in order to to get the big one so that they can gloat about it on social media they catch people poaching mm -hmm. using social media there's been dozens of cases in the last decade of high profile hunting celebrities getting caught poaching uh i think i i have a i gave a talk at the at the boone and crockett or pope and young uh the pope and young convention last year and i and i have a slide with like you can find that talk on youtube with 15 cases in the over the last decade but i know there's more mm -hmm. of of tv personalities social media personalities getting busted for for poaching and right yeah they're under a tremendous amount of pressure to generate right carcasses feed so the content can, machine yeah feed and maintain their clout mm -hmm. so yeah mm -hmm. I, I, yeah so you're getting a sense of where i come down on this stuff and to me, it's just so blatantly obvious that this is what's happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so it, that's what that's what that's what inspired me to do what I'm doing. Is that I just don't I don't understand how that is. This isn't what everybody thinks, and I'm learning that a lot of people do think this. Right. I mean, I, I get there's I get a lot of venom directed at me online, but I, I get praised for 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 saying these things out loud too. Yeah, so I was gonna I was gonna ask what sort of you know since you've kicked this thing off, um, what sort of feedback are you getting from um, listeners uh, about? I mean, you know, frankly, I guess controversial is maybe not the right term, but you you are going against the grain of a lot of what we see and hear in you know the hunting media realm. What have you heard from folks? Um, consumers of your podcast uh both pro and and against what you're doing uh is my dog coming through on the audio should i go get her okay nope she's, she's good. outside barking i ah, let her bark quick, quick i call it quixotic barking 
You know, like jousting at windmills. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But uh, okay, so I think it is controversial in the hunting sphere, but I think that it's very not controversial in society. <laughs> My views are very not controversial in society at large. Mm. Like society is not on board with trophy hunting. Right. So at all. are you saying you think that maybe your opinions and your philosophy on hunting media is maybe more palatable for the um, non-hunting community? That's certainly what the survey data would suggest. I mean, like they're, they're, they're not the society at large is not on board with the like trophy hunting and when, I, and when I, th- I think if you ask them are you they you know the majority of americans there was just this most recent uh national shooting sports foundation five year they do a, a survey on american attitude towards hunting every five years and the most recent one mirrored all, uh, all the several previous ones and uh, the majority of americans don't uh, uh, are not supportive of hunting for a trophy right and i think if you were to i i'm inferring from that that if you were also say uh, do you support shooting something to put it on social media for clout they they i, I can only imagine that they wouldn't be on board with that mm-hmm. either you know they're on they're on they're supportive of hunting for food mm-hmm. you know so i i think that yeah i'm controversial in the in the hunting community but um but hunters are controversial like grip and grin online social media hunters are controversial in society writ large i Mm. believe um yeah i think that's so i the arguments i get are because my brother's a hunting personality that i'm jealous of my brother uh nobody would know who i even was if it wasn't for my brother uh you're just jealous of other people's success. Um, you're just lazy and you, you don't want to go further to get away from the crowds. Um, um, this guy is so ignorant. He doesn't need, we, this is like things we already covered. He doesn't realize that this, we need this to fund, fund conservation. Mm-hmm. More hunters to fund. We, this guy's such a moron. He doesn't realize that uh, we need more hunters to form a voting block. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're getting, I mean, you're, you're getting a lot of the, the, the same arguments um, from, you know, the hunting and conservation community about, you know, their philosophy on how we move forward. Um, and I, and I wasn't, I, 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 I wavered on, on bringing it up or not. And I, I guess since you brought it up, maybe this is a time if you want to clear the air, I think people are going to recognize the last name and, and infer that you guys have maybe different opinions. Yeah. I mean, in my, in my, in my mind, it's not that interesting. Mm-hmm. It's just like either, either you agree that with me that hunting is under threat and that the causes I'm saying the things, the factors I'm pointing out as causes, either you agree with those or not. Um, yeah, I, there's a lot of talk about credibility Mm -hmm. in in, in, among hunters Mm -hmm. that hunter or that 
that hunting personality does or does not have credibility. I, I, I don't like that word because I, it, people, once once you just start accepting somebody's perspective because they you perceive them as having credibility, you've stopped thinking for yourself. So what I see myself doing is putting out a set of arguments, and my only request is that you just think about it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to jump real quick back to access. Um, and give you another opportunity, um, to, to explain this out, you know, I mean, the monetizing of access, um, you know, we have like some of our listeners are probably familiar with an organization called land trust. Um, and this, as we've seen in Montana, um, you know, increasing, uh, purchases of, of recreational properties, um, that used to be ranches, um, and less and less opportunities for a variety of reasons, but there's less and less opportunities for the public to hunt publicly accessible private, whether that's through a state program like block management or whether that's through just the old fashioned knock on the door, uh, trade some elbow grease for hunting. Um, how, what are the issues at play that are causing the increase in this pay to play model um, that you see? I mean, we, we've gone over pretty a, a lot about, you know, the hunting celebrity. Are there other factors at play? Um, how, do you, how do you sum that all up? Yeah, well, I'd say that the, biggest, the biggest reason we're seeing it, we've seen a market decrease in non-pay access across the country is hunting media and hunting celebrities. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but, uh, there, I mean, there's other factors at play, too, like a growing population, urbanization, development. Mm-hmm. So there's less places to hunt. You know, those are definitely factors. Also, um, like you mentioned, land trust. So land trust is a brilliant idea. They, they What they do is they approach farmers and ranchers and, and offer to orchestrate hunting on their places for a fee Mm -hmm. and that company is the beneficiary of millions and bill probably billions of dollars worth of hunting tv Mm -hmm. you know they're they're using free of charge decades worth of hunting content that inspires people to want to have a good experience and and people that can afford that good experience or willing to pay for it. So right, yeah, and, and some would say that block management is the same thing. When you, when you, when it, block management is funded through out of state hunting license sales. Right. And when an out of state hunter pays for his or her license, the portion of that, that goes to block management goes to making sure Everyone has a place to go. Right. Not just the person that is writing the check to land trust or the landowner. Do you think there's more to play than just the amount of money involved when it comes to landowners deciding whether they want to enroll 
in block management versus in role in land trust, would you say? Yeah, I, there's other considerations as, as, as well, but you know, there's, they're, uh, they're enticing people, folks out of, out of block management, um, that would probably otherwise be in block management. I mean, I, I just, how I, I can't get on board with a company that has a bu bunch is funded by, by, uh, has a bunch of investment dollars from venture capitalists. Mm -hmm. Anytime venture capitalists get involved in hunting access, I think that of that as a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And one of their investors are the Wilkes brothers who gobbled up hundreds of thousands of acres across the West and don't allow, don't allow any public hunting. Another, their other, another one of their investors is Kevin O'Leary, the dude from shark tank, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it that does. It just doesn't, portend well for the grassroots hunting community mm -hmm. so this is a montana uh pretty montana centric podcast and you know you live in montana i'm sure you fill your freezer every year with wildlife from montana um how do you think montana's doing when it comes to policing hunters, managing hunters, managing access, managing wildlife. Um, you know, I guess if you were to look at it through the hunt quietly lens, um, what grade would you give Montana? Well, let's see. I mean, it, there's still more opportunity here for high quality, publicly accessible hunting than in most other states. So if I was just going to rank it against other states i'd give it a very high grade but it's also but i'm sure you're seeing things you're seeing decline. policy you're seeing policy and wildlife management decisions coming out of helena and coming out of fwp uh, some that you like some that you don't like um oh if, yeah if we're just talking about what the administration is doing yeah i mean uh, you know what how, how things are run here are there things that you can point our listeners to in Montana that you think are good um, and perpetuate your mission and perhaps some policies that are not good, that are, that are at odds with your mission and philosophy? That we have this block management program, I think, is, is great. You know, it's the biggest program of its kind with 6 million acres mm -hmm. in it. Uh, the, 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 the second biggest state in terms of acres enrolled in a fish and wildlife management agency run program that allows public access to private lands is Kansas and they have 1.2 million hmm. you know so but but uh I'm, I'm more I'm, I'm concerned with the temporal trends explain that I, I I'm concerned with that it used to be 7 million acres and now it's 6 million hmm that many places I used to hunt are, it's laughable to think that you're going to go there and have a, like 20 years ago that we're good hunting, or it's laughable to think you're going to go there and have a positive experience anymore. Mm -hmm. Because there's just too many people. Mm -hmm. So, but I, I, I mean, it's still possible to have a good experience in the state. Absolutely. Right, right. Um, so I don't want to like be all gloom and doom. You know, I have great experiences every year, um, but they're becoming harder to find. And 
Well, right. And, and, I, I, and there are things that the administration do. I mean, the administration, in my view, is way acquiesces to outfitters and guides way too much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, which, as you've as you've mentioned numerous times, is kind of at odds with how you see or how you think the tradition of hunting should be carried on into the future. Yeah, I, I don't like a, a guide on private land. I just don't see it like you get in his vehicle and he drives you up to the animal and then you crawl out there and shoot it. It just isn't hunting to me. Right, you right. Know? If that's what we want hunting to be, then I lose. Yeah. But, <laughs> You know, I mean, to me, hunting is finding your own spot, finding your own animal. Mm-hmm. And that's the most rewarding part. Mm-hmm. So what a what a private land guide does is he takes care of all that except for executing the shot. Mm-hmm. So is it is it is it really black and white? Is it is it really dogmatic? Um, or is there room for every hunter to carry their own set of values um, with them out into the field? Some may value, you know, a white-tailed doe um, that they're going to eat on for a couple of months. Some might value just the antlers for a picture or to be hung up in their living room. Are we talking about a situation where it is really um, a this or that or is there room for a shared value system among hunters or a a, a diverse value system among hunters is what I mean to say. I I mean, I'm just, I'm just one man. This is one man's viewpoint and I'm just putting it out there and seeing if enough other people see it the way I do that we could band together and make a difference. I, I, if you're just shooting it and, taking the animal to hunters for the hungry and bringing the horns home. I don't I'm not down with that. I think that that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. If, if you're keeping the horn, you're waiting for a big one and, and keeping the horns and mounting them and eating the meat, I'm down with that. That's fine. Mm-hmm. If, if uh, you're shooting more than you need to sustain yourself so that you can put shit on social media, I think that that's like, really greedy and selfish Mm. so you know it's just my perspective is like yeah there's room for shared values like i have a lot in common with somebody that just wants to shoot some does and eat venison for the year some years i don't shoot a buck Mm -hmm. some years i don't shoot a bull Mm -hmm. i just shoot some does Mm -hmm. you know so I, that kind of is me, but I'm always wanting to get a big one too, right. you know. So like, yeah, there's there's a lot of value systems that aren't mine, but I can identify. There there are other value systems that aren't mine that I can identify with, and then there are some value systems that aren't mine that I just have no patience for, you know. But like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because like it's just one guy's opinion, and hmm. may, if it turns out that enough of us agree that hunting for clout isn't is is not helpful maybe there's things we can do like mm-hmm. boycott hunting social media you know et cetera, et cetera. well so yeah that was yeah. gonna be that was gonna be my next question for you know 
any listeners who have been listening and, and they, they're agreeing with everything you're saying, is there, is there a hunt quietly playbook or is there a call to action that you have or, you know, a formula for folks to kind of give a sniff test on whether something um, is good or not uh, in line with, with your philosophy? Like what, what's your call to action? What do you tell people um, when they ask how they can e- implement your philosophy into their actions? Uh, so if you go to huntquietly.org, my janky little website, we have bullet points on there. And I'll just, I'll just read them. Engage in the fight for habitat and access. Acknowledge, celebrate, and support landowners that provide hunting access to the public. Avoid hiring outfitters that lease private land. Do not lease hunting land in states that have programs to compensate landowners for providing public access. If, a lease, if leasing is essential, liberally share your leased land with fellow hunters. Boycott hunting TV and other forms of hunting entertainment. It leads to the commodification of wildlife and hunting access. Avoid, to the extent possible, companies that use hunting TV and social media influencers to sell products. Disincentivize, parenthetically unfollow, hunters that display dead and dying animals to strangers on social media. Discourage hunting nonprofits from recruiting, retaining, and reactivating hunters into our already severely overcrowded pastime in their quest for dues and hunting industry sponsors. Uh, treat, pop, treat property open to hunting with respect as if you own it. Combat poor hunter behavior, especially on private lands made accessible to hunters through government programs. Support initiatives to provide opportunity for hunters that use primitive gear, including longbows, recurve bows, and muzzle loaders. Avoid the long range craze and restrict rifle shots to 500 yards or less. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even shoot 400 yards. <laughs> that was kind. Of, these are all. Those bullet points were arrived at through deliberations among our little group. Mm-hmm. So. So that's kind of that's that's kind of the playbook for folks. Yeah, as we see it, yeah. Right. And so um I think this might be a good opportunity to segue into something that is separate from Hunt Quietly. Um but kind of in the same vein and supportive of that mission and it's Montana Hunters for Access, which is a, a separate organization that you work on. Um can you tell us about what Montana Montana Hunters for Access is and what it does? Yeah, so I we're calling it Hunters for Access now because we have a chapter in Kansas and Minnesota oh. and in Montana. Okay. So I see where it's it's natural to think of it as entirely separate. And it's it's kind of good to think of it as separate because you could be you could hate hunt quietly. Mm-hmm. You know and still be on board for hunters for access but in my mind it in my mind hunt quietly is focused on the problem when it comes to access um and hunt hunters for access is it's so hunt quietly is focused on the root problem Mm. hunting for clout and and all that stuff commodification and but and 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 
Hunters for Access is more of a Band-Aid. But, you know, I don't know which one's going to be more effective, if either of them are at all effective. But what Hunters for Access is, the assumption it's predicated on, is that if, if hunters stand together and show appreciation to farmers and ranchers and other landowners that allow hunting access on private lands through government state-run programs like the WEHA program in Kansas or uh, the block management program or PALA is another one in Montana mm -hmm. or the PLOTS program in North Dakota. It's unbelievable how many of these programs there are. Uh, I think more state, far more states have these little programs than do not have these programs. And they actually get some money now over the last decade. They've gotten some money every year through the farm bill. Um, and I'm trying to think of the acronym for that. The HIP, VIP HIP program hmm. is part of the farm bill. The voluntary no VPA HIP. Voluntary okay, so Public Access Habitat Improvement Program. So states can apply for federal funds to compensate landowners for allowing right. access. So you so the, the mission is to support these programs, but how do you guys support yes, these programs? Right. So in Montana what we do is we la we raise money Last year, we raised $8,000 just in the little town I live in of Miles City from local businesses. We got them to give us, like, Napa gave us a tool chest. Uh, we got a couple firearms donated. We got some sporting goods equipment, sporting good equipment donated. And then we raffled that off and take the money and buy appreciation gifts that we dole out to farmers and ranchers, gift certificates to home and ranch supply stores. We, uh, we gave away a pneumatic fence post pounder. We gave away a couple calf shelters. So we, every, every hunting district in Montana, all seven, seven of them have two block management appreciation dinners mm. every year. And we went to the Region 7 dinners. There's one in Miles City and one in Glendive. And we had a drawing for all the, the stuff we had. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing we did at those dinners is we went ta table to table and asked farmers and ranchers, everybody there, the, all the participants in block management, to sign a piece of paper if they'd be interested in having a work crew come out for a day mm. and we did and we did nine work projects on participating ranches last summer uh, cleaning up trash we did a building demo we built a barn door we built a porch did all kinds of fence construction and removal did some weed scouting mm -hmm. so that's how we operate uh, so the, it, the model might be a little different in Minnesota and Kansas, just depending on how things work there, they're just those states are just getting up and running. Right. But that's the idea. It's just so, if you're somebody that believes that showing a little appreciation might keep the door open, 
then this is a good thing to support. And you can make a donation, a cash donation, mm-hmm. at huntersforaccess.org. You could try to, if, if you own a hunting brand or know somebody that does, you could try to get us a donation for our raffle. And if you do that, you could re- reach out to me at uh, huntquietly at gmail.com, or you could reach out to us on our Instagram page, mm-hmm. the Hunt Quietly Instagram page. Um, please buy a raffle ticket if you're, this is something you believe in. It's just that simple. If you believe showing appreciation might help with access, then it's just that simple. Right. So correct me if I'm wrong here, but the idea is that, um, you know, sure, these folks may be able to go get more money for hunting rights on their property through these private avenues, um, through leasing. But the idea is that maybe if, if uh, on top of block management, if our organization, you guys, the Hunters for Access, can show appreciation, um, give out some stuff that ranchers would, would put to use, um, you might you might win them over in in sentiment versus you know in in dollar figures is that the idea? yeah that's that's the idea and some of these folks you know i interact with them pretty regularly and some of them are pretty proud of the fact that they allow the guy from the local hardware store or butcher shop or whatever to have a place to go mm-hmm. that's important like they feel that makes them feel like they're doing the right thing Mm-hmm. So and you know, but they have to deal with a lot of bad hunter behavior. They are get tempted by outfitters and land trusts, etc., that can pay them more money. So we're just hoping that this enters into their decision making calculus. That there are people that like what they do enough to show them some appreciation and come out, come out in the summer when it's not hunting season. Right, <laughs> and get and lend a hand for a day or whatever. It's kind of like and everything that. we and everything we do here is all of this is for. So everyone has a place to go. Mm-hmm. I don't even hunt. I don't even hunt block management. And I, I did not hunt block management this year, hmm. ever, even once. Mm-hmm. So, this isn't about me protecting my hunting. Right. Uh, our right. president is a. He's an ag implement dealer hmm. This for the state chapter. And he does not have problems finding places to hunt. He doesn't hunt block management. Right. Kind of sounds like this is about. Kind of sounds like this is the R1 the right thing. R1 retention for landowners. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, Matt, I mean, that's kind of the that's kind of the bulk of it. But of course, I always like to give guests an opportunity to uh, share any final thoughts or or dot some I's and cross some T's, um, anything we may have missed in our conversation that you want to get out there to folks? Yeah, I started out a little grumpy, you know, with the talk because I'm like just talking about my main agenda with the hunt quietly, and I have a lot of concerns, and I'm extremely serious about those concerns. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so I apologize for, for that, but uh, I I get pretty cheery when I think about this this hunters for access thing and we're we're about to do our first national fundraiser and that's that's going to be we're, we're eliciting donations from hunting companies which is a little tough for us because we bash on them a lot when they do stupid stuff <laughs> and then we go and then now we're trying to get them to give us things so it's like a big a big part of the problem the big, big thing there is 
this isn't about us. Mm-hmm. You know, this is about do you are do you care about access? Mm-hmm. So uh, we're excited about. We've already got some pretty nice stuff, and we're just getting started. We got Seek Outside gave us a nice tent the other day. We got a twenty two hundred dollar raft. It looks like we're going to get some firearms. Mm. Some we're just getting started so who knows what we'll end up with we're just you know we got some clothes some knives from some little companies um tree saddle uh it, and i think people are going to buy our raffle tickets because they believe in what we're doing i don't you know so even if we don't get a lot of stuff but it seems like we're getting a lot of stuff you know mm-hmm. so i don't know if you're if you're a hunter that really concerned about the future of access for yourself for your kids you know, this is our best bet. Mm-hmm. What, what, this is our best guess of what's going to, this is, you know, and maybe it doesn't make sense to you, but if it does, I, I encourage you to get involved. Well, Hey, thanks. Thanks for coming on Matt. Um, and, uh, you know, sharing what is to some folks, a controversial take. Um, I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing that. Um, yeah. Glad to do it. Thanks, man. Thanks for the invite. You bet. All right. Montana Untamed is a podcast from the newsrooms of Lee Enterprises' Montana newspapers. Visit any of our websites or subscribe wherever podcasts are found. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.